Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This discussion is going to be on Mosiah chapter 27, and this is about the sons of Mosiah and Alma. And I want you to be thinking, why did these, these young men receive an answer or receive a vision of an angel when there are so many others that uh, may do the same things and they don't get visits of angels? So be thinking about that question. <clears throat> Verse 1, Now it came to pass that the persecutions which were inflicted on the church by the unbelievers became so great that the church began to murmur and complained to their leaders concerning the matter, and they did complain to Alma, and Alma laid the case before their king, Mosiah, and Mosiah consulted with his priests. <clears throat> and it came to pass that Mosiah, King Mosiah sent a proclamation throughout the land round about that there should not any unbeliever persecute any of those who belonged to the church of God. And there was a strict command throughout all the churches that there should be no persecutions among them, that there should be an equality among all men. That they, should not, that they should let no pride nor haughtiness disturb their peace, that every man should esteem his neighbor as himself, laboring with their own hands for their support. Mosiah is not speaking of equality in the law, but in the social structure. Yea, and all their priests and teachers should labor with their own hands for their support, to make sure no elites arise to be supported by others. In all cases, save it were in sickness or in much want, and doing these things, they did abound in the grace of God. And there began to be much peace again in the land, and the people began to be very numerous, and began to scatter abroad upon the face of the earth, yea, on the north and on the south, and on the east and on the west, building large cities and villages in all quarters of the land. And the Lord did visit them and prosper them, and they became a, a large and wealthy people. Now the sons of Mosiah were numbered among the unbelievers, and also one of the sons of Alma was numbered among them, he being called Alma after his father. Nevertheless, he became a very wicked and an idolatrous man, and he was a man of many words and did speak much flattery to the people. Therefore, he led many of, his, of the people to do after the manner of his iniquities. Alma is singled out because of the conversion story, which is about to happen. Verse 9, And he became a great hinderment to the prosperity of the church of God, stealing away the hearts of the people, causing such... Um, causing much dissension among the people, giving a chance for the enemy of God to exercise his power over them. So they've enjoyed uh, freedom of speech, so they could do these things. The evidence points to, to the idea that Alma was not fresh from his teenage years or 20-something, but a mature man before the angel visited him. This idea comes from a couple of sources. After the angel visits Alma, it is a relatively short period of time before his father, Alma, dies at the age of 82. Would it be likely at that age to have a child in his 20s, or is it most likely, more likely that Alma the Younger was more, um, more mature, perhaps even in his 40s, when the angel visited? It is also noteworthy that he is described as a very wicked and an idolatrous man, and he was a man of many words, and did speak much flattery to the people. Therefore, he led many of the people to do after the manner of his iniquities, and he became a great hinderment. This sounds like a well-practiced sinner, matured in his capacities for making trouble, not just a hotshot youth with a streak of rebellion. The reason this question of Alma's age is significant is because of the additional insight it gives us into the story. Alma the Younger's sins were not trivial, not but heinous and destructive. His lies had shattered the lives of eternal and eternal hope. Let me start over. Um, Alma the Younger's sins were not trivial, but heinous and destructive. His lies had shattered the lives and eternal hopes of many people. 
The persecutions and disruptions to the church were so great that the believers were beginning to complain. Alma the Younger had been about major league sinning and probably for years. These are not trivial sins easily washed away. What's more, a more, what's more, a more mature Alma the Younger gives us a greater sense of Alma and his prayers. The church that Alma had established, his life's work was being demolished by his own son. Alma the Younger's avowed aim, which he was relentlessly about, was seeking to destroy the church. Yet his, this righteous father did not give up on his son. He did not resent or hate him for trampling upon everything he held dear. No, he prayed for him with great intent. These prayers didn't last just a month or even a year. Alma didn't give up when he saw that utter destructiveness of his son. His prayers and faith must have gone on tirelessly for several years, maybe even decades. And that was by Maureen Proctor. Verse 10, And now it came to pass that while he was going about to destroy the church of God, for he did go about secretly with the sons of Mosiah, seeking to destroy the church and to lead astray the people of the Lord, contrary to the commandments of God or even the king, they are teaching the other religion of idolatry. And as I said unto you, as they were going about rebelling against God, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto them. All of them saw the angel, and he descended as it were in a cloud, and he spake as it were with a voice of thunder, which caused the earth to shake about which they stood. So Alma 36 will give us a more detailed account of Alma's conversion. The witness of the Holy Ghost is more powerful, however, than the visitation of an angel. Heber G. Grant said, Many men say, if I could only see an angel, if I could only hear an angel proclaim something that would cause me to be faithful all the days of my life, it had no effect upon these men that were not serving the Lord, and it would not have effect today. An example of this is seen in the life of Lyman Johnson. Lyman Johnson reportedly apostatized after having seen an angel. I remember hearing President Snow say on more than one occasion regarding, recall Matthew Cowley, how determined Lyman Johnson was to see an angel from the Lord. He pled with and teased the Lord to send an angel to him until he saw an angel. But President Snow said the trouble with him was that he saw an angel one day and saw the devil the next day. And finally, the devil got away with him. Hugh Nibley quoted Brigham Young, who said, pray that you never see an angel. He was talking historically. Almost everybody who saw an angel left the church. They came back, but they had these terrible problems. It gave them inflated egos, etc. They thought they were somebody special. They were, but they couldn't take it. It would be very dangerous if we were exposed to the other world to any degree. Only people that are very humble can do that, not us. We can't do that. We are not that humble. Wilford Woodruff said, The Lord never did nor never will send an angel to anybody merely to gratify the desire of the individual to see an angel. If the Lord sends an angel to anyone, he sends him to perform a work that cannot be performed only by the administration of an angel. I said to him that those were my views. The Lord had sent angels to men from the creation of the world at different times, but always with a message or something to perform that could not be performed without. Verse 12, And so great was their astonishment that they fell to the earth and understood not the words which he spake unto them. Nevertheless, he cried again, saying, Alma, Arise and stand forth, for why persecutest thou the church of God? For the Lord hath said, This is my church, and I will establish it. Nothing shall overthrow it, save it be the transgression of my people. However, in this dispensation, the church will not be overthrown. This must mean that there are enough righteous people on the earth that will help the church to continue rolling on. And again the angel said, Behold, the, the, Lord's has, the Lord hath heard the prayers of his people, and also the prayers of his servant Alma, who is thy father. For he has prayed with much faith concerning thee, that thou mightest be brought to the knowledge of the truth. Therefore, for this purpose have I come to convince thee of the power and authority of God, that the prayers of his servants might be answered according to their, their faith. <clears throat> the Grand Richard said, You remember what Alma did when his son Alma didn't walk in the ways of the Lord. 
and went about trying to destroy the church. He just did. He did not give up. He did. He did not give the Lord any rest about it. He took it to the Lord in mighty prayer until an angel of heaven appeared to his son. Parents often today uh, offer today. Parents today often pray with great faith to their rebellious sons and daughters, yet they do not always receive the same results. Alma the Elder's gospel is the same gospel that we have today. Why then are they are there not more angels and more thunderous and transforming experiences? Mortal parents <clears throat> who make their own best effort to reach their children can invoke divine assistance through prayer for all scripture unite in testifying that God answers prayers. Perhaps the Lord does send angels, but angels of a different sort. Inspired teachers, friends, bishops, home teachers, scout leaders, and others can serve the same function as angels from above. These embodied angels, inspired by the Holy Ghost, are sent by the Lord to assist and to love. Evidently, there were factors in Alma the Younger's circumstance that necessitated his peculiar experience. Uh, Elder Worthland said, Alma the Younger's conversion was brought about by his father's persevering faith. Despite the profound depths of worldly wickedness into which his son had sunk, Alma did not give up on the son he loved. Here is a case where a righteous man surely loathed the sin, but dearly loved the sinner. He diligently, hopefully, fervently prayed for his son. The angel messenger who visited Alma the Younger told him that he had come to convince him of the power and authority of God, that the prayers of his servants might be answered according to their faith. Elder Packer said, We emphasize that the greatest work you will ever do within the walls of your home. It is not <clears throat> uncommon for responsible parents to lose one of their children for a time to influences over which they have no control. They agonize over rebellious sons or daughters. They are puzzled over why they are so helpless when they have tried so hard to do what they should. It is my conviction that, 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 that those wicked influences one day will be overruled. The prophet Joseph Smith declared, and he never taught a more comforting doctrine, that the eternal ceilings of faithful parents and the divine promises made to them for valiant service in the cause of truth would save not only themselves but likewise their posterity. Though some of the sheep may wander, the eye of the shepherd is upon them, and sooner or later they will feel the tentacles of divine providence reaching out after them and drawing them back to the fold. Either in this life or the life to come, they will return. They will have to pay their debt to justice. They will suffer for their sins and may tend and may trend a, may tread a thorny path, but if it leads them at last like the penitent prodigal to a loving and forgiving father's heart and home, the painful experience will not have been in vain. Pray for your careless and disobedient children. Hold on to them with your faith, hope on, trust on, till you see the salvation of God. And that was by Orson F. Whitney. <clears throat> Verse 15, And now, behold, can ye dispute the power of God? For behold, doth not my voice shake the earth? And can ye not also behold me before you? And I am sent from God. Now I say unto thee, Go and remember the captivity of thy fathers in the land of Helam. Alma was probably taught these stories in his youth, and so the angel is telling him to recall them. And in the land of Nephi, <clears throat> and remember how great things he has done for them, for they were in bondage, <clears throat> and he was delivered them, and he has delivered them. And now I say unto thee, Alma, go thy way and seek to destroy the church no more, that their prayers may be answered, and this even if thou wilt of thyself be cast off. And now it came to pass that these were the last words which the angel spake unto Alma, and he departed. And now Alma and those that were with him fell again to the earth, for great was their astonishment. For with their own eyes they had beheld an angel of the Lord, and his voice was as thunder, which shook the earth. And they knew that there was nothing save the power of God that could shake the earth and cause it to tremble as though it would part asunder. Let me just read you a couple of things about, again, why some reasons why the angel appears here. Now, this is from Millard and McConkie. 
Why did they see an angel when so many others who have left the church and warred against it do not appear to have been granted a like privilege? Consider the following. One, it ought to be observed that if all rebellious souls were recorded a personal visit from an angel assured, assuring the reality of the world to come with its rewards and punishments, there would be little need for faith on anyone's part. Two, such appearances of angels would create the temptation to obtain a testimony by negative behavior rather than through righteousness. Given that few among the faithful are privileged to enjoy the ministering of angels, it would seem a strange system of theology that freely granted such a privilege to the wicked. Three, it could, it could be that some appreciable number of people have had such an experience and have rejected the divine counsel and chosen not to repent, and thus we have no record of the experience, like Laman and Lemuel. Four, the Savior explained that those who reject the testimony of Scripture and living prophets would also reject the testimony of angels were they to appear to them. Five, we have the testimony of Scripture that some have entertained angels unawares, and we might suppose that in many instances, angels have sought to entice transgressors from their course in unobserved or less dramatic ways than this appearance to Alma and the sons of Mosiah. Six, the prayers of the righteous cannot go unheard. Alma the elder and Mosiah were both men of great faith who had no doubt implored the heavens night and day with a plea of help to save their wayward sons. Nor did they pray alone, for their pleadings were joined by those of all faith, all the faithful of the church in and around Zarahemla. 7. It need be remembered that the Lord, who can manifest his powers in a great variety of ways, is hardly limited to angelic ministrations or open visions. Many have had conversion experiences of spiritual impact and consequences equal to Alma's experiences, which are the result of a coalescence of circumstances, divinely contrived, life-changing experiences involving such things as a confrontation with death, an inspired sermon, a caring parent, a relative, or a sensitive priesthood leader. So there's lots of reasons why we don't have angels minister, but uh, other things the Lord uses to uh, bring us back. And now the astonishment of Alma was so great that he became dumb, that he could not open his mouth, yea, and he became weak, even that he could not move his hands. Therefore he was taken by those that were with him and carried helpless, even until he was laid before his father. And they rehearsed unto his father all that had happened unto them, and his father rejoiced, for he knew that it was the power of God. And he caused that a multitude should be gathered together, that they might witness what the Lord had done for his son, and also for those that were with him. And he caused that the priests should assemble themselves together, and they began to fast and to pray to the Lord their God, that he would open the mouth of Alma, that he might speak, and also that his limbs might receive their strength, that the eyes of the people might be opened to see and know of the goodness and glory of God. And it came to pass that after they had fasted and prayed for the space of two days and two nights. Now, since Alma had been preaching against the Messiah, here he has an experience that symbolizes the death and resurrection of the Messiah. In Alma 36, he indicates that his incapacity lasted three days and three nights, the same amount of time Christ was in the tomb prior to his resurrection. The priests fasted for two days, which was different than the number of days Alma was, in, was unconscious. This means that the priests started their fast the day after Alma's experience. Continuing verse 23, the limbs of Alma received their strength, and he stood up and began to speak unto them, bidding them to be of good comfort. For, said he, I have repented of my sins. The difference between Alma seeing an angel and Laman and Lemuel seeing an angel is that Alma repented where Laman and Lemuel did not, and have been redeemed of the Lord. Behold, I am born of the Spirit. Alma is born again through the atonement of Christ, as is the case with all of us. Alma was now made the covenant that he, Alma has now made the covenant that he before rejected. 
Verse 25, And the Lord said unto me, Marvel not that all mankind, yea, men and women, all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people must be born again, yea, born of God, changed from their carnal and fallen state to a state of righteousness, being redeemed of God, becoming his sons and daughters. And thus they become new creatures, and unless they do this, they can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 26, And thus they become new creatures, and unless they do this, they can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. This is from President McKay, which I thought was really interesting. On the evening of May 10th, 1921, as they sailed toward what is now Western Samoa, Elder McKay had the following experience. Toward evening, the reflection of the afterglow of a beautiful sunset was most splendid. Pondering still upon this beautiful scene, I lay in my bed at 10 o'clock that night. I then fell asleep and beheld in vision something infinitely sublime. In the distance, I beheld a beautiful white city. Though it was far away, yet I seemed to realize that trees with luscious fruit, shrubbery with gorgeously tinted leaves, and flowers in perfect bloom abounded everywhere. The clear sky above seemed to reflect these beautiful shades of color. I then saw a great concourse of people approaching the city. Each one wore a white flowing robe and a white headdress. Instantly, my attention seemed centered upon their leader, and though I could see only the profile of his features and his body, I recognized him at once as my savior. The tint and radiance of his countenance were glorious to behold. There was a peace about him which seemed sublime. It was divine. The city, I understood, was his. It was the city eternal, and the people following him were to, to abide there in peace and eternal happiness. But who were they? As if the Savior read my thoughts, he answered by pointing to a semicircle that then appeared above them, and on which were written in gold the words, These are they who have overcome the world, who have truly been born again. So that's the vision that David O'McKay saw, uh, saying that those that are born again will enter the celestial kingdom and be with the Savior. Verse 27, I say unto you, unless this be the case, they must be cast off. And this I know, because I was, I was like to be cast off. Nevertheless, after waiting through much tribulation, repenting nigh unto death, the Lord in mercy hath seen fit to snatch me out of an everlasting burning, and I am born of God. My soul hath been redeemed from the gall of bitterness and bonds of iniquity. I was in the darkest abyss, but now I behold the marvelous light of God. My soul was racked with eternal torment. The torment lasted three days, so the eternal torment had reference to the quality of the torment, not its duration. But I am snatched, and my soul is pained no more. I rejected my, my Redeemer and, re, and denied that which had been spoken of by our fathers. But now that they may foresee that, that he will come... And that he remembereth every creature of his creating, he will make manifest unto all, himself manifest unto all. Yea, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess before him. Elder Maxwell said in that context, at the judgment bar of God, he, we will praise and adore at the mercy seat. We will not stand all amazed. Instead, we will kneel all amazed. Knowing the gr grandness and scope of God's work, we shall participate in that moment when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ. Among those kneeling will be the vilest of sinners, for those for whose sins Jesus also suffered. Among all the knees bending and the tongues confessing will be those of the leaders of all earthly religious movements, however diverse, good, or commendable these movements have been. What we will, need, what we will feel on that occasion will be God's and Jesus' perfect love for us, not a scolding sternness, but a profound kindness and immense tenderness. As these virtues flow from them toward us, many will feel the scalding shame of not having returned that love. As we feel that perfect love, we will confess that the justice and mercy of God are likewise perfect. To stand approved of God at that great and last day, just uh, at that day, such is the challenge, with, such is the crucial nature of spiritual submissiveness while living in a, tu in a, tu while living in a tutoring world. 
Body and spirit are not yet inseparably connected. Death will come to us, yet we have been given profound promises. Continuing verse 31. Yea, even at that last day, when all men shall stand to be judged of him, then shall they confess that he is God. Then shall they confess who live without God in the world, that the judgment of an everlasting punishment is just upon them, and they shall quake and tremble and shrink beneath the glance of his all-searching eye. Alma has had this experience, and he tells us that we will also bow the knee and confess that Jesus is the Christ. And now it came to pass that Alma began from this time forward to teach the people, and those who were with Alma at the time the angel appeared unto them, traveling round about through all the land, publishing to all the people the things which they had heard and seen, and preaching the word of God in much tribulation, being greatly persecuted, those by those who were unbelievers being smitten by many of them. So this is kind of restitution to them, it seems like. I probably shouldn't have said that. Okay, verse 33. But notwithstanding all this, they did impart much consolation to the church, confirming their faith and exhorting them with long suffering and much travail to keep the commandments of God. And four of them were the sons of Mosiah, and their names were Ammon and Aaron and Omner and Himni. These are the names of the sons of Mosiah. The order of the birth of the four sons of Mosiah is never made clear in the Book of Mormon. The listing in Mosiah 27 would indicate that Ammon was the firstborn, followed by Aaron, then Omner and Himni. Also, the fact that Ammon was the leader on their missionary journey to the Lamanites would seem to indicate that Ammon was the eldest. However, when King Mosiah asked his people to select his successor, they first desired that Aaron should be their king and their leader. In this single instance, it appears as though Aaron may have been the eldest son. And that was by Elder Ludlow. Not that any of that matters, but it was interesting. 35. And they traveled throughout all the land of Zarahemla and among all the people who were under the reign of King Mosiah, zealously striving to repair all the injuries which they had done to the church, confessing all their sins and striving to repair all the injuries which they had done to the church, confessing their sins and publishing all the things which they had seen and explaining the prophecies and the scriptures to all who desired to hear them. Brigham Young said, If you have sinned against your God or against yourselves, confess to God and keep the matter to yourselves, but I do not want to know any for I do not want to know anything about it. Spencer Condy said, These are there are some people who caught up in a feeling of humility and contrition disclose their own weaknesses before the public, such as in a testimony meeting, rather than confessing their sins in the privacy of a bishop's office. The scriptures tell us that only when sins were are widely known should there be public confession. Otherwise, our sins should be confessed to our bishop or to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Orson Pratt said, After a man has repented, will his faith and repentance bring the forgiveness of sins through the atonement? Are these all the conditions required? No, you may confess your sins, but if you never make restitution to the persons you have wronged, your confession will be of no service. President Kimball said, To every forgiveness there is a condition. The plaster must be as wide as the sore. The fasting, the prayers, the humility must be equal to or greater than the sin. There must be a broken heart and a contrite spirit. There must be sackcloth and ashes. There must be tears and genuine change of heart. There must be conviction of the sin, abandonment of the evil, confession of the error or to properly constituted authorities of the Lord. There must be restitution and a confirmed, determined change of pace, direction, and destination. Conditions must be controlled and companionship corrected or changed. There must be a washing of robes to get them white, and there must be a new consecration and devotion to the, to the living of all the laws of God. In short, there must be an over, overcoming of self, of sin, and of world. We often look at the steps of repentance, and we think that that might be all that we have to do. Uh, as Michael Wilcox gave a talk a number of years ago, and he said, if, you, if the Savior were to come into the room and we were to ask him, what is it that I need to do to be forgiven? 
uh, Brother Wilcox believed that it was would be two things. One, to ask him, and the second would be to forgive others, and that that would be how we would re how we would receive forgiveness is to ask for forgiveness, and then to forgive other people. Verse thirty six, and thus they were instruments in the hands of God in bringing many to the knowledge of the truth, yea, to the knowledge of their Redeemer. And how blessed are they, for they did publish peace, they did publish good tidings of good, and they did declare unto the people that the Lord reigneth. I bear testimony to the truth of, of uh, the, the gospel and how important it is for us to repent of our sins and to be forgiven, and that we can be forgiven. That is the promise that the Lord has given us, that no matter what we've done, no matter how red our sins may be or how scarlet they may be, that they can be white as wool. I bear testimony to that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hope you like this podcast. See you next time. Bye.